interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode, Matt Kelly and I look at the Capital One FinCEN enforcement action and draw lessons for the anti-bribery and anti-corruption compliance practitioner therefrom. Fascinating exploration of a case literally drawn from the news. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another live stream of Compliance Into the Weeds. Welcome, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, you had an interesting blog post. Uh, I'm not sure if it went up Friday or over the weekend, but it was about issues relating to either work from home, return to work, or both, or perhaps other issues as well. So why don't you set the stage for us, and then let's uh, dive into it. Yeah, so this came about because of a webinar I had the good fortune to moderate last week, where we had originally said the title of this would be the return to work in 2021 and the compliance challenges thereof. And the, the, the the webinar itself was great, and the panelists were very thoughtful, and we had a lot of good questions. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the freight turn to work, I think, is the problem. And it is trying to cram two different ideas into one heading. Um, the two different ideas are, number one, that we are going to have some sort of new way of working post-pandemic. It's not going to be the same sort of thing that we expected when the pandemic started. Anybody who thinks we're going to have a return to normal work like we had in 2019, because we all get vaccinated and the pandemic goes away and life is normal again, that's not going to happen. We're going to have some sort of new post-pandemic way of going to work that is going to be different than what we experienced before the pandemic. Um, but the other part of this return to work phrase that I get hung up on now is that really you're lulled into thinking return to the office, the physical location, which a lot of us may not do, or we might do it sometimes, but not a lot. And certainly we won't do it like we did in 2019 and prior to that. Um, and all of this struck me because on that webinar that I was on last week and elsewhere when I've heard from other compliance officers, one of the things that they talk about is that, oh, we did this change in 2020 because of the pandemic that worked out so well, we're going to keep that change. It's going to be permanent. More people working from home or getting rid of some of the real estate we don't need. Yeah, we're going to do that like forever. That is an example of what I mean, that we're going to have new ways of work that will linger long beyond the pandemic once it finally goes. A lot of those changes won't necessarily be driven by the compliance officer. They're going to be driven by the CFO looking to cut costs for real estate or operations people looking to allow more remote work so salespeople are out in the field. Uh, or it's going to be driven by HR people who are saying, sure, remote work, because now we can hire job candidates from all over creation. And that's all fine. That is all beyond the compliance officer's control. But what are the compliance implications of those kind of changes? That's what I meant with my post, is that you need to be thinking through 
what is your company going to do for a new way of work? And okay, I know what those new things are now, and now I can reverse engineer the changes to the compliance practices that need to happen. That's really what we need to be thinking about as we say return to work in 2021. So Matt, what do you see as uh, some of the challenges? Are they the challenges that we faced literally over the past 10 months in the working from home? Are they expanded challenges or even are they different challenges? That's a good way to, I don't know, probably a little bit of both, but certainly the distributed workforce, everybody working from home, that is both good and bad. Um, Like we said, you can cut your real estate costs. You can source your job candidates in a larger uh, geographic pool. Um, You can have a lot more flexibility for employees and a lot of people like that. That's all great. But what does that mean for compliance? Well, let's think about it. You're going to have a lot of just nuts and bolts, wage and hour, tax and HR, uh, workplace harassment laws. That all gets much more complicated because it will vary by state or by locality. Or if you're a global company, it could vary by um, national boundaries if suddenly you think, yeah, sure, we can have people who are working in Canada or Mexico or New Zealand or Barbados. What's the big deal? Um, Perhaps operationally, it's not a big deal, but there are those kind of nuts and bolts compliance issues that could be very difficult. Um, My favorite right now is that my state, Massachusetts, is trying to impose income taxes on New Hampshire residents who previously would have commuted from New Hampshire into Massachusetts to work here for an employer who isn't based in Massachusetts but has an office here. Well, now you're not going to work in Massachusetts. And so Massachusetts is still saying, well, if there hadn't been a pandemic, you would have gone to work, so you should pay our income taxes, even though your company is based in Peoria and you're living in New Hampshire. And like, New Hampshire is suing Massachusetts right now over that. But what are the tax implications for that? How do you know? A lot of regulatory change management, a lot of working with your HR teams to make sure that you know where everybody is working. Uh, Another big issue would be how do you um, counsel or monitor uh, underperforming employees because how are you going to manage them? How are you going to nurture them? How are you going to put them on an improvement plan? How are you going to discipline them or terminate them? Um, Could they wind up becoming a risk for uh, some sort of wrongful termination lawsuit because a manager did something incorrectly? Could they wind up filing a retaliation lawsuit because they misinterpreted your actions and thought they were being punished for something? Um, There's a dozen different ways that could go wrong. And that's all just in the HR realm. If you are in certain industries like financial services, you actually do have regulatory compliance obligations around how you supervise employees and they don't care that your employee's not in the office anymore. You're still going to have to figure that out. Um, Tom, we've probably talked over the last 10 months or so about cybersecurity challenges, how you're going to track everybody who does this. Um, there's a lot of different ways that a distributed workforce could wind up posing a lot of challenges. They have posed a lot of challenges for compliance officers, but we could jimmy together the right solutions in 2020 because, well, you know, maybe this is going to go away soon. Maybe it's not a big deal. We shouldn't invest a lot because it might not be a permanent change. That was last year. Now we're starting to think, okay, a lot of this is going to be a permanent change and people are coming back only once or twice a week. They're still working from home. 
the whatever improvised compliance procedures you came up with last year, you're going to have to think about changing that into a real authoritative, embedded, disciplined compliance program forever. And that's the, that is the compliance officer's job. That was the, my point with the post is we need to think about how do you make this a sustainable thing, not just a 2020 year from hell thing. I really like the tax implication angle because uh, we have a colleague who is from New Zealand. And if that colleague returns to New Zealand and works for either a U.S. or European-based company, and uh, that colleague stays for six months plus one day, uh, that colleague is deemed to be a resident of New Zealand. Yeah. What does that mean for the company in terms of the visa they may or may not have to get? Do they have to get a visa? Uh, what are the tax implications for both uh, personal income tax and corporate income tax? Does that company now have its own presence in New Zealand because it now is an employee who stayed over six months? Um, so that's certainly an interesting uh, question. Uh, there are some negative things bubbling up about the current environment of uh, working from home. And I don't want to say radical compliance is ahead of the curve, but radical compliance is ahead of the curve and pointing out many of these because the New York Times finally picked on, on it on Sunday. And uh, it really deals, Matt, with uh, more of the conversational nature of many of these platforms, both uh, the audio as we are doing, mm-hmm. uh, but also the, um, the digital the typed, whether that be Slack, whether that be instant messaging, whether that be some other forms of communication. And companies are beginning to see employees mimic at the workplace or on workplace communication platforms the way they would communicate on social communication platforms. Yeah. And they're beginning to worry about that. Uh, obviously, the uh, political uh, questions that have arisen over the past month uh, are part of that, but it's also... Um, insults. It's also kind of snide remarks that you might make uh, more conversationally. Uh, It is perhaps age discrimination with a snide comment about an older worker may not be able to technologically proficient as a younger worker and may make a mistake and a comment of, well, you know, another boomer, what do you expect? Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering um, what's the, I mean, compliance has a huge role in all of that. But how can we sort of monitor that? And I mean, that has to be stopped immediately because if it devolves down to the political conversation, we will bifurcate uh, as we did uh, in the last election. But Tom, I can give you an even more mind-bending, hair-raising example. This is an actual thing that happened to a compliance officer I know that uh, it was a group chat of three people where person number one said, well, this marketing campaign is looks like it's going to be ready in third quarter. And then a second person come in and said, big deal if it's ready or not, it's racist. And then a third person came in and said, no, it's not. But it wasn't immediately clear. Are they saying, no, the campaign's not going to be ready for third quarter or no, it's not racist. And it turned out to become a big point of contention that uh, they were misconstrued. And this happens all the time, I think, in electronic media, because we strip away so many of the interpersonal nuance that if somebody's sitting in front of you in a conference room, you could immediately suss out, um, yes, they're talking about person number one, not person number two. But if you are launching an investigation into electronic data and who said what to whom at what time and what does this emoji actually mean, um, it can get very sticky. 
I know already there are uh, software vendors out there peddling artificial intelligence for uh, natural language processing to be able to decipher these online chats at bulk and try and detect potentially troublesome conversations or harassing conversations or anything like that. I don't know how well those work. I don't know that they're worth the cost. Uh, It seems to me that training your employees to think and communicate more effectively through online media is a better way to do it. But that doesn't sound like it's easy to me either. That sounds like it's really going to be a long and arduous process. Um, So there's a lot that has to float around and be sussed out there. But I do think that, you know, your point, um, what about somebody who sends a message to an employee at 11 p.m. on a Friday? Now, if I left a post-it note on your door at 11 p.m. on a Friday, well, you're not even going to see it because you're already home and you'll just find it when you go back to your cubicle on Monday. But if I send you a text message or a Slack message, you're going to see it at 11 p.m. on a Friday. Am I trying to get the employee to work after hours? Is that legal? In some countries, it isn't. Um, How do you make this all work? A lot of it is going to be gaming out challenging fact patterns, trying to figure out what the law says, and then reverse engineering a good policy and training to avoid any sort of a misstep. And I think we kind of sort of were fumbling along with that in 2020. But now that 2021 is here, and it's abundantly clear, a lot of our practices that we adopted in the pandemic, they're going to stay. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think working from home is fine. But how would you take those improvised, stumbled through learnings and put them into an actual policy manual, build other technology for controls and whatnot, and do all of this efficiently, do all effectively, and have a program that can run in perpetuity? Because who knows when any sort of 2019 sort of a life is ever going to return, possibly never. Um, So I don't have a good answer for you, but I think the problem is very much that is how do we take what we improvised in 2020 and embed it and automate it and craft it into a sustainable compliance program, given all of the changes that we're going to uh, to put forward in 2021. Matt, that leads to a broader question I wanted to explore with you, which is what about culture? And you touched upon some of the challenges we had in 2020. And and I think uh, we talked about how the compliance function needs to uh, continue uh, the corporate culture uh, during the work from home phase. But as we move towards something more permanent, whether it be a uh, uh, distributed workforce, whether it be partially in the office, whether it be something else, uh, how does a compliance professional think about maintaining culture? Do we need to move to a more uh, robust approach? I think that's going to be a struggle for a lot of companies um, because most large organizations did not really expect that they would have such a radical shift and to remote work, to other sorts of challenges. Um, You know, are you going to do more split shift work? Um, You know, all sorts of ways that corporate culture is going to change or what are the obligations each employee owes to coworkers around, say, um, coming into work sick, getting a vaccination if one is available to you. Um, And, it's a sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't question for organizations. You know, I one thing I picked up on in a, the webinar that put me onto this idea was mandatory vaccination policy. Can you do it in the United States? Legally, you can. Is that wise? Probably not. And in Europe and in most other parts of the world, no, you can't. 
so you're going to have to encourage employees to do the right thing, which is to get vaccinated. Um, and I don't necessarily know that we've got the right tools or techniques yet to be able to do that. I mean, the CEO sets the tone for the corporate culture. The CEO helps to guide the corporate culture along with his or her senior leaders. Well, you know, a lot of them may not be attuned to this new sort of a world. Does that mean you replace the CEO? That seems like a pretty rash and radical step for a difficult problem. I wouldn't recommend that. But, um, you know, how are the stewards of corporate culture going to really take the operations that have been inverted upside down on their ear? How are you going to take all of that and maintain the corporate culture you wanted? There might be some parts that you have to get rid of. Um I don't know. I, I don't know that I have a good answer for it. I'm just saying that this is going to be a significant problem. Anybody who thought we could just hold our breath until 75% of the country gets vaccinated, you wait three more weeks and then we can all go back to work. Like That ain't it. Um, there's going to be a different sort of post-pandemic world, and we need to anticipate that that fact is going to happen. But Tom, the only other soapbox I want to get on about this subject, too, is as we all talk about all these changes that are happening... First off, we're all assuming that you, the compliance officer, that you're going to be told what these challenge, these changes are, that you're going to get to be in the room when companies make these changes, that you're going to be part of the deliberations and secret councils that go on. And then you can say, well, what about the compliance implications? And if you're not in the room, if you're not being informed of what changes are going to happen, you're even on a further back foot than already. And we're all on the back foot thanks to this pandemic. But that's another big question of mine is who is in the room as we are making these changes at a company? And is the compliance officer one of them? So the Department of Justice over the years has talked about training, obviously, as a part of a best practices compliance program. And at one point said that if you go to online training, you have to explain why and why that's better than live training. Well, now everyone's online training. And does that require online training to have a different character uh, because of the remoteness of the employees and the potential for uh, the fraud triangle or even the fraud Pentagon to kick in? I would say yes. I, it's a question where I would love to actually get an online training educator or a corporate training educator to talk about the different challenges and pluses and minus of in-person versus online training. Uh, but yeah, Tom, I think you raise an excellent point that the Justice Department wants an explanation of why do you use online training? I mean, do you just fill in on the questionnaire pandemic? Please look out the window. Is that the answer? Because that that is why we're all going to online training these days. Um, so I, like I said, there's a dozen different questions. There's hundreds of different questions that we would have to consider about this. Um, I don't know what all of those answers are. I think we've only scratched the surface here. But it's uh, the fundamental question here is, do we understand what permanent changes our organization is going to make? Have we been told that? Have we bought into that? Or am I, the compliance officer, aware of them? And then if once I am aware of what those permanent changes are, how do I reverse engineer what my program, compliance program changes have to be to keep pace with the operational changes? I mean, I would say, Tom, you know, the Justice Department guidance on effective compliance programs last year did specifically say, called out, you have to evolve with the changing nature of your business model. I don't know that they really were meaning to say, 
including the change of your business model and your corporate culture, put through a blender thanks to the virus that is haunting us all. But that is what has happened to us. So, of course, you need to keep your your compliance program evolving. It's just it is going to be considerably more difficult this year to figure that out. Um, Who knows? Maybe by 2025, it all will be back the way it was. And we can look back fondly on this webinar that we're doing right now, this webcast. But I somehow I think not. So um, last year we saw just a handful of companies who were ahead of the curve in terms of having a, um, uh, I don't want to say a pandemic response, but maybe that's the right term as part of their overall risk management strategy. So when mm-hmm. shutdown occurred, they were able to pivot very quickly. Uh, most companies did not have that. They they stumbled around and, and finally found their way forward uh, after a couple of months what I was wondering is, how does a company begin to think through these questions now while we still have some time before there's a change in where the workforce is located? Well, I think you raise another good point that in 2021, I think a lot of compliance programs will be straddling two worlds. Because first off, a lot of our operations never went home. A lot of corporate operations are still happening in offices or in the plant or in the factory. And those people are still going to work every day. And we need to think through what are our regulatory obligations there. And one of the posts I wrote early on in the pandemic was about an infectious disease response program called the IDORP, which uh, you can't have enough acronyms in compliance, but I really liked the IDORP. Um, but that would be like a meat processing plant or a supermarket chain. What is your infectious disease outbreak response plan going to look like? Um, we should note that the Biden administration has already said, Joe Biden has already directed OSHA to come up with revised workplace safety rules. And one of those rules, mark my words, one of those rules is going to be that you have to have an IDORP plan for when you bring employees back to the office. Or if you already have employees back in the factory floor or whatever, you know, you're going to need to have an IDORP for anybody who shows up in your physical premises. That's going to happen. I don't know necessarily how complex it will need to be, but you're going to have to guarantee the health and safety of your employees. And that has always been so. But I don't think you actually needed to have a written plan for pandemic outbreaks in my office. Now I think you're going to. Um, And that is aside from all the other people who still aren't coming into the office. And you're going to have both. You're going to have some people working remotely, some people working in physical locations. You're going to have one compliance program that has to govern both aspects of this. It's going to be challenging. It's, um, I suppose it might be like trying to balance between two scales here. Which one is going to be heavier at any given time? And uh, we are in a period of change where hopefully we're going to tilt back to it's safer to come into the offices again We don't know that for sure, but that's where it's going. But we're not there yet, but we aren't necessarily in the nightmare days of March 2020 or 2020 when we had no idea what was going on. We have some better ideas. So, um, yeah, it's it's just it's going to be a tumult tumult for the next, I would say, 12, 18 months. So this may be something we can revisit again and again as we enter this brave new world of uh, whatever's next, Matt. Uh, and I hope it gets more and more boring and simple as more and more people get vaccinated and this disease recedes. But yeah, who knows? I, I think that we're going to be struggling with this for a while. 
All right. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds. And you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or the live stream once again at 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.